Lauren, I'm thinking this probably would have been a good opportunity, a good time for us to take a hiatus away from First uh, Timothy, but we're not we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to jump into First Timothy this morning and pick up where we left off uh, before. Uh, and before I say too much, this really is amazing the the amount of volume that we find here in this particular uh, part of this epistle. Uh, and I say that for this reason, and that is that, that, that Paul has identified a particular group of people within the context of the church body, and those are women that have been widowed. And the surprising thing, I think, for more, most people is that he gives a good deal of information here. In other words, we're, not just, we're just not talking about, about widows being mentioned in one verse or two verses. We're talking about... Most of this chapter, or a good bit of this chapter, is identifying this particular group, special group, of very important people in the congregation. For Paul to do what he's doing here, we need to understand something. And that is, this is a particular issue, or a particular topic, that he needs to talk about. Sometimes we have the idea that when Paul wrote his letters, he just he was sitting there one day and just, just said, well, maybe it'd be a good day for me to, 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 to give some information to Timothy about this, that, or the other. We know the Holy Spirit was moving in Paul as he conveyed these things to Timothy. So I just want to challenge us with the idea this morning that what we're talking about here is really important stuff. And that this was a central topic in the church in the days of Paul, and it should be a central topic in the church of today. Unfortunately, what you would find very often in our culture is that the women that find themselves in this situation are not really favored very much. In other words, it would be very easy to kind of lose, for them to just kind of be, be lost in, 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 in everything else that's going on. And let me just challenge us with the idea this morning, that's okay out there, but it's not okay in here that they are very, very important to the lifeblood of this congregation and that we would be mindful of that. So let me go back, and I'm just going to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter to help put things in context, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 uh, through 6, maybe 7 this morning. Do not sharply rebuke an, uh, an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father to the younger uh, as, a, as brothers, younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity, honor widows uh, who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has left uh, has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to want desire or pleasure is dead even while she lives. The Bible, in many places, speaks about widows. Addressed in the Old Testament law, Jesus, uh, at one point when he was 
basically challenging the scribes and Pharisees with their misunderstanding about things. He called them hypocrites, and for what reason? One of the reasons was for devouring widows' houses. In other words, consuming all of their assets for their own benefit and not for the benefit of the woman. Remember the story of the widow's might. The widowed woman who had come very poor, evidently not very well cared for, and Jesus observed her as she was putting in two small copper coins into the treasure. And he told the people around them that she indeed has given more than all of these other people who were given much larger amounts, and she had given actually everything that she had. James says this, This is pure and unfiled religion in the sight of God and Father, our God and Father, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. I would say the Bible, that God gives a great deal of importance to the special group of ladies. And, I, and I'll say this this morning. I would imagine that maybe me even talking about this might make some of you uncomfortable, uh, which I can understand because I don't know about you, but I don't like to be the limelight, really. Uh, but the reason I am talking about it today is because we are dedicated, we're committed to preaching through Scripture, and this is part of Scripture, and it's a very important part. We must have special concerns for those who are widows among us. First of all, Paul says this, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. One of the things we need to understand is this, is when it comes to widows, and I want to say widowers too. We, you know, we could probably lump guys in here with the ladies uh, without stretching things too much. But we need to understand something. The Bible lays down... Uh, the rule, and the rule is this, is that this, as far as caring for uh, those and those who are in need, it is primarily and first most the responsibility of their family. Most of us who are older understand that, but we need to understand that our culture today has moved a great deal away from a lot of the bedrock that we were raised on where I would imagine that you would not find this idea ingrained in the minds of many of the young people today, but it's a very important uh, principle that, that is very, very much biblically based, and we need to always remember it. Care for our family members is, first of all and principally, one of our, I want to say responsibilities, but I want to challenge us as I say that this morning, that, you know, very often we look upon things like this as being burdens. My father tells me, I may have said this last week, so forgive me. I never wanted to be a burden to any of my kids. I've heard it probably 100,000 times in the last four or five years. Uh, and I can understand why he would say that. But at the same time, I think he is wrong in a lot of ways about this whole picture. And that is because I've heard that so many times, and because of other reasons, because I'm a sinner like so many, like all of us are, that I have, in a sense, looked upon all of the things that Lori and I have done for my mom and dad over the last few years as more of a burden than anything else. 
in, in studying through this and considering this passage myself, I have been challenged, really, to think of it more as a privilege. Something we do, and, and, and he gives reasons here, basically, and that is this children and grandchildren. No, seriously, it's grandchildren, too. And it literally says that. in the te- Actually, what it says in the text is descendants. In other words, anyone that's descended down from this woman. Obviously, children would have priority, but if there are no children, then perhaps they're grandchildren. If no grandchildren, maybe nieces and nephews, and etc. That have some family relationship to them. It is very easily established that men usually out, or more often men, die before their, their wives do. I mean, that's just a principle. I know there are occasions where men are widowed, but more often than not, you're going to find out that the husband is going to pass away before the wife does. I don't understand why women live to be longer than men, but it's, a, it's something that's been going on all through history, and, and part of it in history is this, is until recently, those who fought the battles and the wars, and there were a lot of those through the history of the world, were the men. There's a story at the end of Judges about, uh, it has to do with Benjamin and a particular person there that was a member of the tribe of Benjamin, committed a great sin, and it caused division in the whole nation, and the whole nation of Israel rose up against Benjamin, and they almost annihilated virtually all the men in, in Benjamin. So over time, that, that tribe was pretty much only women. The average woman in the United States today lives to be 81.2 years old, and the average man 76.3. So we're talking about a difference of five years. They're estimating that by 2030 that that difference is going to be 85 for women and 78 for men. So seven years difference between men and women as, as even both sexes live longer on the average. He gives a good, very good reason here as to why the responsibility for caring for our loved ones who are older than we are, why it falls upon us or the privilege falls upon us. And that is there's a sense in which what Paul says here is that the only thing you're doing when you help your mom and your dad or you help your grandmother, uh, the only thing you're doing, in a sense, is just kind of, in a sense, repaying them for what they've done for you. In other words, they cared for you when you were small, when you were little, when you could not care for yourself. And the only thing you're doing is repaying them for, for, for the love and the care that they've shown you. Uh, in life. I want to issue a challenge this morning to the men of the congregation. And my challenge is this, is principally and primarily we are the ones who are most responsible for the care of our wife. And let me just tell you this, I have been with 
with widows many, many times, preparing for funeral services and going through all the details of the preparations that have been made for this, that, and the other. And let me tell you, there are very often the men have done very well. They need to be commended on how well they have prepared for their wife to go on financially and otherwise after their passing. But let me tell you guys, sadly, I have been with widows whose husbands did not really prepare them at all. And I could even list, I could give you some names this morning that would shock some of you. Of men who really left their wife with virtually no care. I tell people all the time, you know, Lori is actually 10 years younger than I am. You can laugh about that. You can make fun of me and all that. it's, It's been so long now that it doesn't even make any difference to me anymore. But I always tell people that, and age has never been an issue for Lori and I. Not one time has it come to be a part of the picture of our marriage at all. And I tell people all the time it's because she's very mature for her age. And if you know her, she really is. And at the same time, I'm very immature for my age, so we just kind of meet in the middle. <laughs> that we've hit, hit that happy medium with one another. But my biggest concern at this point in my life that stands above everything else, even you guys, is her. Doing everything I can do to make sure that she's taken care of. And let me tell you, we have a great loving family. I I have no concerns or or, or thoughts there about anyone not caring for her uh, and all of that. But it really is one of the primary concerns and focal points uh, of my life at this point. Is, Is making sure that she's taken care of now and that she will be taken care of probably when I precede her into death. Paul goes on to say, She who is a widow indeed, and we talked a little bit about this last week, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. What he's doing here is beginning to make a distinction. The, the, the teaching overall here, guys and gals, is not... That every single widow in every single context is to be taken care of by the church. You need to understand that. Because this is the focal point of a lot of what Paul says here, and that is this. is What if there aren't any children? What if there aren't any grandkids to take care of, uh, of the widows? And if you think about Acts chapter 6, where the office of deacon was created, one of the primary reasons was because the, the widows, some of the widows in the church were not being cared for. It was to look after them. What he's saying here is this. Is those who are to come under the care of the church are to be women of piety. In other words, those who have a very great sense of dedication to their God and to their church and to the people around them. Saintly. Now, I could talk about some of the ladies that we have here, we've had here, 
I'm not going to do that. I want to tell you a story. Many of you know that I have a real heart for Uganda because I've been there three times and I have personal friends. There are people there that I love a very great deal. I don't see them very often, once every 10 years or so. And, and I, I've, I, I email them back and forth. One of them has email, so we can do that. The others just through letters on occasion uh, and all of that. But there, there, there are men and women that I know and that I love a great deal. Uh, played a big part in my life, let me tell you. You, you know, you, the, the funny thing about going on the mission field is this, is you're going there and you're all puffed up and proud and you're thinking, I'm going, nobody else is willing to go. So that just makes, I'm just a super saint, you know, the fact that I'm willing to go. And then you have the idea that you're just going to be such a blessing for those people when you get there. But what you find out every time is when you get there, it turns out that they're a greater blessing to you than you are to them. Last time I got to know an older lady, her name is Olive, and she was very elderly for a Ugandan woman. She was probably in her 70s or 80s by the time I got to know her. Uh, but she came to, to face through the church in Busoro, where Sam Kasuli was the pastor for many years. You probably heard me talk about Sam Kasuli. Uh, but she had such an influence on that congregation. And by the time she came there, she had already been widowed. But she came to faith through that ministry that Sam Kasuli was so key in starting. And when I, went to, when I first went to Uganda, never heard anything about this olive lady. And the second time I went, no, no word about this olive lady. But when I went in 2007, that's all I heard was all of this and all of that. For Sam Kasuli and everybody else. So one day Sam and I and Dick Johnson, we went out to visit with, with Olive. And like I said, she's elderly. She lives in a shack, literally, what you and I would consider to be a shack. Uh, very, very meager assets, almost really no assets at all. She lives from day to day not knowing very often where she's going to get food from that day or the day after, that sort of thing. And I can remember the, when I first laid my eyes on her, she just burst into this huge smile. And you go to Uganda, the, the black people there are really black, and they have these bright white teeth. And so, I mean, just this, 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 this smile of hers just radiating forth. And she, she was one of those women that smiled constantly, incessantly. There was a smile on her face. And just so encouraging. She, she actually became like a mentor to Sam, her pastor, who brought her to faith in Christ to start with. Such a big encouragement to him and to everyone in the congregation. To me that day, as she invited us in. You know, very, very few little furnishings in her house and an old dilapidated sofa that she probably got out of the dump or something like that. Uh, and we sat down, and she made tea for us. And you wouldn't like the tea in Uganda, most of you, because it has a whole lot of sugar in it and about half of it's milk. They don't drink it the same way that we do. They don't have, like, southern ice, uh, sweet iced tea. Uh, but she didn't have any food except the fact that we brought her some pastries from town. And 
She served those to us. Unfortunately, what I see sometimes, and I'm not talking about particularly anybody in the church, but I'd say in a general sense of the word, very often today, older people are not the most encouraging people around. Very often, older people today, they kind of pull into their own little world and they become the focus of their world and they're most concerned about the things that affect them and, uh, and all of this and they're, they're very often they're bedridden. Let me just use Tom, Tom Plett for an example this morning. Here we have Tom Plett. He passed away maybe six months ago when he was 96 years old or almost 96. He had been bedridden since he was 93, had a stroke and could not walk after that point. But let me tell you guys, I went to see Tom because I'm a selfish guy. Not because I thought I could offer Tom anything, but because I knew that Tom could offer me. Every time I went to see Tom Plett, he was always smiling. He was always joyful. And you look at his life. was spent in a bed. Three years he laid in that bed, and, and, and every now and then they would get him out of the bed and sit him on the sofa, but he didn't take, take a step for those three years. Was never out of bed on his own. But Tom was not about Tom. He was about the people around him. To encourage them. To strengthen them. For the reason that for Tom, it was really all about Jesus. It was all about Christ. He was the reason for all of it. And Tom knew it. Good example of what we're talking about is Anna in the Bible. Remember who she was? The lady that lived in the that lived in the temple and continually offered prayers and petitions before God that was there when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus there to be, ba- to be cir- circumcised. I was going to say baptized. See what we're talking about here? We're talking about widows that have Christ as the focus. He's central to everything. They don't sit at home feeling sorry for themselves. They don't sit at home wishing somebody was taking care of them. This, that, and the other. They're those women, these people that are are widows, that are widows indeed. They don't have other people to take care of them. They don't have family to take care of them. But at the same time, they don't sit and feel sorry for the circumstances they find themselves in. They go beyond that. And like I said before, I use Olive because you don't know her. You could very easily use other women in this church that you do know. Verse 6. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even if she lives. 
we live in a very different time, as we've said before, and the culture's changed in all kinds of ways. And you and I understand something fundamentally that's going on here, and this is what happens when people turn away from God. This is the whole root and the source of every bad thing going on in our land today, and that is this, is there has been a real turning away from God. And you and I have atheism thrust in our face all the time. I can remember a day when the, the culture, when I was, I was born in the 60s, or I grew up in the 60s. I was in, you know, middle school and high school in the 60s and early 70s and all that. So the days of the hippies and the days, we were like the first generation who came along. And we turned away from the church in a sense, a lot of us. And that was this, is, is up to that point. It was basically the children followed and they did whatever mom and dad did. Now, that was not necessarily the right reason for doing it. Don't worry what I'm saying here is this. Is if you grew up in a church or a house that was a, 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 a church house, a, a church where, or a house that everyone went to worship God, then more than likely you would continue to do it, even if it was just because that's what mom and dad did. But our generation said, we don't care if mom and dad did, did it. We're going to do our own thing, right? Well, we see where that's led us in a lot of ways. But let me just say this as well. That's affected the culture of older people too. This general turning away. And what I mean by that is this, is just look at the villages, There was a time when the older people were those who were considered to be the most wise. And if you had, a, had an issue or you had a question about anything, who would you go to? You would go to those older people in your life who were of great influence upon you. Because you could count on getting good advice and counsel and wisdom from them. But just look at the villages. Sometimes I think it's going to encompass us eventually. Some of us that have been around here for a while can remember when it was just a little mobile home park on 441. had maybe 20 mobile homes in it. That was the villages. And now it's almost as big as a county. But surprising things coming out of there, and one of those is this. It has one of the highest rates of sexually transmitted diseases in the state which means the people there, and I'm not talking about everybody, need to understand there are exceptions to all of this. They're very sexually active in their older age. We were there for a wedding one time, and, and, and the reception was in a, a big con, one of their big convention centers, and at the same time that the wedding was going, or the reception was going on, there was a dance going on in the next room over, it was like a 60s dance or something for the residents of the villages. And, and, and I walked out of this reception, out into the common court, and I ran into a woman who had something on you would not believe. And she was 60, 70 years old. You, you could practically see through it. 
Lindsay and Justin are living down in the Keys now. And let me tell you, Lindsay would move tomorrow if she could. And the big reason for it, or one of the big reasons, is the culture. And we know this. There are a lot of retirees, older people, in the Keys, because most of them are the only people who can afford to live down there. Right? And we're talking about well-to-do older people, not just common folks like most of us. But they just got through what they call their annual fantasy fest. Goes on for 10 days. Where you can do just about anything you want to do with anybody else out in public. People walk around in nothing but body paint. Thankfully, there is an OPC, an Orthodox Presbyterian church, about a block away from where Lindsay and Justin live. It's the only Presbyterian church, Reformed Presbyterian church. It's the only Reformed church at all in all of the Keys. And it's within a stone's throw of their house. They're there this morning. I'd be one to bet you. But their pastor uh, does a lot of street evangelism, and he goes down to... I can't remember what road it is, where there, you know, a lot of the bars and things like that are. Uh, he goes down there two times a week and does, and he preaches evangelistically on the streets. And he was sharing with the congregation last week how he went to preach, and he began, and he just couldn't continue. Why? Because it's really very odd and, and, and awkward to preach to a bunch of naked people. Now, doesn't that blow your mind? You need to understand some of those naked people were older people, and some of those older people probably had been widowed. You see the distinction that Paul is making here? He says that women that are there, that are living in, in wanton pleasure, uh, the, you know, the, the things of the world, he, said, he says they're already dead. They're already dead. It's very sad. She must be above reproach. You understand that sometimes helping people in the circumstances they're in only encourages them to continue to live in a wrong manner. You understand this is Paul's reasoning behind all of this? That there has to be some standard that is maintained in the church for a lot of reasons. And one of those is this, is the impression people get of Jesus is the impression they have of you. The impression they get of Springs Presbyterian Church as you live your life in this community is what they see you doing and what they hear you saying and how you go about your business as you live here. We understand this, that every, the, 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 the people that don't know anything about Jesus, and we, and, and, but they know that we do and that we're, we're these Christian people. 
Their impression of him is their impression of us. And if he sees hypo- they see hypocrisy in us, is that going to draw them to the cross? Is that going to draw them to, to salvation in Christ? No. There must be a distinction between us and the world around us. Something, a distinction that's obvious to everyone. And that's true for all of us, by the way, not just widows. It's true for every single one of us. We can't be like the world. We have to be distinctly different. See, those who claim the name of Christ, they still live in wanton pleasure. They dishonor him before the world, before the church. So what do you think? Now let's read another verse. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and we need to keep this in context, he's primarily talking here about uh, about people taking care of their own widowed mother or grandmother or family member. And especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that is, that is a very remarkable and a very deep statement that we find here, right? I don't want to just pass over this just lightly. Notice here he doesn't say they're just sinners. He doesn't even say they're a worse class of sinners. What he's saying here basically is this, is they are worse. He says they're worse than unbelievers. And this is what Paul is saying here, is if we don't take care of our own, then we are absolutely denying the faith. We're denying him. We're denying God. We might profess Christ, but in what we're doing, it says that we really don't know him or love him or serve him or believe him. Let me just say, these things don't always come easy. Uh, as much as I would love for it to be different, there's some people that grew up in, in, in very dysfunctional households. Some of you may have been beaten or something like that by your mother or father on a regular basis. There may have been alcoholism in your family and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know the circumstances that all of you have come from. Some of you live very sheltered childhoods where mom and dad took care of absolutely every hurt, harm, need, and whatever that came your way. Most of us live somewhere in between where we got a mixture of both, right? You know what I'm talking about. 
Because that is true. These things are hard. They are difficult. They are heart-wrenching. But let me tell you something. Guilt is not the best motivation ever for anything. So if we do what we do out of guilt, we're not doing it for the right reason. So how do we do things like this? How do we do, how do we take care maybe of our mother or father that was not always that good toward us? How do we do that? Well, let me just tell you something. My father is mystified, and my mother too, at Lori. I'm telling you what, I don't know what I would do without that. That woman is so special, and if you don't know it, then you just don't know her. She is a very, very special lady. And she has done as much or more for my mom and dad than I have. All the paperwork stuff, all the dealing with Medicare and, and, and this, that, and the other, and whatever the stuff that I hate, like I was talking about, you know, women's minds are always going. Mine's not, and that's not a direction I want to go in. I hate that stuff. She's done all of it. For a lot of reasons. Number one is because she knows I hate it. And I'm not very good at it because I hate it. Because I don't want to be good at it. I'm not interested in being good at it. I tell you what, she's just, she is, she's, and my mother and father can't believe Lori. They can't, they don't understand why she's doing what she's doing. Our whole family doesn't understand why she's doing what she's doing. But you and I do. It's because she loves me. But more importantly, because she loves Christ. That's her motivation behind it. I only hope that if the time ever comes for me to return, that I do as well. I don't see how that's possible. But just a treasure. But do you understand that ultimately the motivation has got to be things like honor your father and mother? God's commanded it. It's not that we have a choice in this. We don't have a choice. So as hard as it may be for some of us, it may be real easy for some of us. For some of us, not easy. But we do it. And I, you've heard me say this before. If you want to get the, the, the attention of the world, do something the world does not expect you to do, and you will get his attention like nothing else. There should be times when other people are, are wondering what it is, why is it we do what we do? And it should be true for all of us. And that reason needs to be because of Jesus. Because of what he's done for us. 
because of the love that he shows us, because of the grace, the mercy he has just poured out upon us repeatedly. That's the only right motivation for ever doing any of this stuff, guys and gals. Because you can honor your father and mother from the outside and be seething on the inside. That is not what God is calling us to do. It's not only the act of doing it, it's doing it in the right manner and for the right reasons. So pray for your pastor because it's not easy for me. It just isn't. I wish it was. It's hard. Hallelujah for Lori. I hope that helps.